We all need a completely new life, and Jesus Christ is the only resurrected Savior who can meet this need. But if Jesus makes us new people, why do we still wrestle with the old life? As we join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, this is the question the Apostle Paul begins to answer in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 32. A lot of you are coaches, a bunch of you, both men and women are out there coaching soccer, and a lot of you are even coaches uh, up on the high school level, and you ladies, I know this is a big football time. Some of you ladies had to put up with your husband watching all the NFL championships, but I want to help you leave that a little bit, because you're going to hear your husband yell all of a sudden, I can't believe it, he threw into double coverage. So this morning I'm going to share with you what double coverage is. When I was playing quarterback during the week, my teacher, my coach, he actually played semi-pro ball and, and he would get right under center and have me stand behind him like I've often shared with you and, ha- and then he would do what he wanted me to do. One of the things you teach young quarterbacks, especially in high school to do, and although you'll see some of the pro quarterback break the rule, but what you do is you train a quarterback when you're under center, you go back to pass and as you're going back to pass, you don't want to turn your head like that. You want to stay down but you want to keep looking down the field. And I used to want my great big lineman to level people because I was so short I couldn't see. But what you're trying to do when you go back to pass is you're looking down the field. Let's suppose that I'm going to throw a medium out, not a short out or a quick out, but I'm going to throw a medium out, which is about 25 yards, and my wide receiver is going to fake to the middle and going to break to the outside. Now, when I'm throwing that, that medium out, as I'm going back, I need to be looking over here because I don't want to let the cornerback know that I'm coming to his side. So that's one of the things the coach teaches me. Some of you that are young quarterbacks go back and you're going to throw to your, your wide receiver on the right side. All you do is watch that wide receiver and all those defensive guys are looking at your eyes and all you're doing is telescoping. Another thing they taught me is as I am scanning the field, not giving away too much where I'm going, I'm watching that safety. I'm not just watching the corner. The cornerback is the guy, the defensive man that's right on my wide receiver. Now, what double coverage is, is single coverage is when that cornerback stays just on the wide receiver and there's no one else to help him. And it's the safety that's going to help him. The safety is just playing back there, kind of like a center fielder, and he is watching, scoping out what's going on. And what double coverage is, is when that cornerback goes down 25 yards and break to the outside... He's not only got a cornerback that's covering him, that's single coverage. Double coverage is when the safety is going to move and break in on that receiver. What throwing in a double coverage is I go back and I look and my wide receiver has beaten his man. He's got two yards on the corner. And I whip the ball to him, but I don't see the corner. The corner is hanging back, and as soon as I throw a really good, like a college safety that has great speed, and the pros, absolutely, they've got enough speed that if when you throw, they can recover, and they can make up the distance. What throwing in a double coverage is, you throw because the guy's in the open, the cornerback has been left behind, but the safety's breaking right across, and he comes in and intercepts the ball and then runs for a touchdown. It's throwing in to double coverage. And I can remember time and time again when I did that, I go back and I watch my corner, man, he's in the open, wham, and the safety breaks in and intercepts, and the coach throws up his hand and just consternation says, that's not the way I taught you! And he didn't say it quite as nice as that. And if I did it too many times, you threw me out. How many of you as teachers have ever just said to your students, I didn't teach you that? 
Any of you moms and dads ever said, that's not the way I taught you. The Apostle Paul, you turn to Ephesians 4 today. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4 today, verse 20. And the Apostle Paul is like a coach, he's like a parent, he's like a teacher that throws up their hands in exasperation and he says, that's not the way I taught you. Now what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's nailing the changes that should be present in our life because we have now come to know the Lord Jesus. And the truth of the matter is most of you in this room can, you might not remember the exact time, but most of you can remember a time when you heard that Jesus was the Son of God. You can remember a time you learned that Christ sacrificed his life for you. The tears roll down your cheeks because when you see the death of Christ, that's where you realize your sins were paid for. And it just means everything to you. And then you see the empty tomb and you see Christ risen from the dead. And, and it just, you know, there was a time. You might not know the exact date or the hour, like if you're a little like me. Like, I don't remember exactly when in August when I was five years old that I received Jesus. I know it was a Sunday. And so don't worry about that. It's not the exact time or the date. It's the reality that took place in your life. And the Apostle Paul has been talking to us about the preciousness of trusting Jesus. And I want to make it really clear. That's not when you joined the church. It's not when you joined a particular religious denomination. It's not just when some of you are from backgrounds when you were confirmed or something like that and you went through religious instruction. It might have been then if you really heard the good news about Jesus and you invited Jesus in. But the Apostle Paul is not talking about what we do in our culture, which can be cultural, formal things that we do. He's talking about something that really takes place inside of here. Now, when that's taken place inside of here and Christ has come to live inside of us, Christ does a very powerful thing and it produces change, very strong change that grows and develops through the rest of our life. And that's what he's talking about. Now, here's what the Ephesians are wrestling with. And I want you to be encouraged because you're not any different than the Ephesian church. As the Apostle Paul wrote back to the Ephesian church, they lived in a city where if you were a teenager, all your unbelieving friends got plastered and they were immoral. And some of your unbelieving friends were not quite so bad, but a lot of them were. It was the, kind of the atmosphere of the city. They worshipped Diana the Ephesians. A whole bunch of the business was selling little idols. The greatest Diana the Ephesians. They sold them all over the Roman Empire, just millions of them. In fact, as the gospel began to grow, there was a riot over that because the people wouldn't buy the idol when they became believers and it was really hurt in business. So there really was change. But if you're a young person in Ephesus, the friends that you had before you came to know Jesus, they were controlled by having wild parties and getting drunk and using filthy language and telling dirty jokes. And I mentioned to the kids a little bit, but it was also true to the adults, okay? So I want you to have the picture. When you read the Bible, I've, you can actually go to Turkey today. You can see the ruins of Ephesus. It's one of the greatest archaeological things you could see. I haven't seen it, but Joel and Jonathan have, and they just said, Dad, it's awesome to see the grandeur of the city. So I want you to think like that. It's not that much different than our city. Now, as the believers went out, the Apostle Paul is realizing that they tell dirty jokes. And some of them are immoral sexually. And some of them use filthy language. And some of them get really angry. 
Some of them steal. And we're going to be talking about this in the next week especially. He talks about really concrete actions. And what he's concerned about is that's not the way that you learn Christ. In other words, when you invited Jesus into your heart, the very first thing that he wants to nail down, he's like a coach that stands up and he says to a group of people, what's really going on in your life? What's really happening in your marriages? What's happening the way you raise your kids? The way you relate to your mom and dads? What happens to the way you do your business? You know, all of this kind of stuff. And Paul throws his hands up and says, that's not the way I taught you. And more concretely, the very first thing, I want you to look at verse 20. He cries out this, and he's just like a coach that stands up after a quarterback throws an interception. And he says, that's not the way I taught you. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, you, however, there's a big contrast in Ephesians 4, verse 20. You, however, last week we talked about the old way of life. Remember, it was controlled by no boundaries, dirtiness, and greed. Desiring, just living for stuff that God doesn't desire for us. So three things, no boundaries, no moral restraints, do whatever we want to do. Second of all, dirtiness. And thirdly, living for greed. That we covet, we break the Tenth Commandment. The Apostle Paul says that's the way we used to live. Now he's saying, in contrast to that, now you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. And literally, what Paul said in this phrase is, I can't believe it. He's like a coach who throws up his hand and says, but you did not learn the literal phrase. I'm going to translate it literally. Because the NIV takes a little bit of the, the thrust out of it. What Paul literally wrote to the Ephesians is, you didn't learn Christ like that. He says, you didn't learn Christ in such a manner, if indeed you heard about him, and that was when they believed in Christ. That's why I I mentioned the gospel again. He said, you heard about him, and that meant that they heard that he was the son of God. They heard that he died on the cross for their sins. He heard that he rose again. They heard all those great foundational truths. You heard about him, and then they were taught in him. And in your Christian life, you have this balance where you hear the good news about Christ, but then you're growing in Christ. Now, here's what I want you to to understand. Paul throws up his hand and says, not that you, that's not the way that I taught you about Christ. That's not what he says. Now, stick with me. This is a real important difference. Some of you know about Christ. Some of you have known about Christ from the time that you were little kids. You're like me. Like, I've known about Jesus ever since I can remember. And there's people in the world, like, you can actually go to a university, and you can study in the religious department, and there will be people there that know a lot more about Jesus than you do. They can speak Greek, and they can read Greek, and they can read Aramaic, And they can look at all the ancient sources. They know all about Greek philosophy. They know all about the different kinds of Greco-Roman religions. They know all that stuff. They know it better than you do. They know what Southern Baptists believe, what Methodists believe, what Presbyterians believe, what Roman Catholics believe, what Mormons believe, what Seventh-day Adventists believe. That's their whole field. And they know it better than you. But you're going to find out that some of those men and women don't know Christ. And that's the difference. It's a big difference. And I want to ask you this morning. The very first thing the Apostle Paul says is that's not the way that you learned Christ. And what I'm saying, it's a very subtle difference. Because usually I teach you about someone or about something. 
Now, why in Christianity do we say that we learn Christ and that we don't just learn about him? And this is the reason, because Christ, unlike any other religious teacher that's lived in the past that we talk about, Christ is alive today. So you don't just learn about him, but as I talk to you, Christ is right here. In fact, if you've genuinely invited him to come into your life, then he lives inside your life. And so as I teach you from the word of God, like as I'm beginning to teach you today, you don't just learn facts, you hear him. Like when he says, if indeed you've heard him, if indeed you've learned him, you're actually having the Holy Spirit speak to you at the deepest level of your life. And it's a real person that's there. And that person is causing you to want to turn away from sin. He convicts you when you get involved in sin. And it's totally different from just learning about someone. And what I'm really concerned about as a Bible church is we teach a whole lot about Christ. But you might not know Christ. You might not have learned him. You see, the really cool thing about Jesus is my coach, I told you, could get under center and then he would show me what to do. But then he'd step away, like in junior high school when that started, I'd have to get under center and I'd have to try to do it in Dave's strength. The really cool thing, the really cool thing about what Paul is saying is that our coach, Jesus, doesn't ever step aside and say, okay, you do it. What he does is he climbs inside of us when we receive him. The moment you invited Christ in your life, he climbs inside of us with all of his skills and all of his resurrection power and all of his abilities. And he is closer than a brother to us, closer than our heartbeat. And he's giving us the genes we need to be what we need to be as a son and daughter of God. So that's the very first thing I want you to nail down in your life. You need to make really sure that I have come to know Jesus personally. That I didn't just learn about him, but I've invited him in. And you can always nail that down. I want to make it, even as I'm teaching, you can just say, Jesus, I don't want to just know about you. I want you. I want you. I want you to come to live inside of my life. And that's what the adventure of this church family is. What this church family is about is the invisible resurrected Jesus is inside of us. Amen? If Jesus is inside of us, does it make any difference? In other words, as we go out into business this week, as we go into school this week, does the living, resurrected Jesus living inside of our life, does he make any difference? And that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. I need to ask myself, if Jesus is in my life, what difference does it make in the way that David relates to Mary, my wife, the way I relate to my kids, the way I relate to you? The way I relate to strangers that I meet, the way that I do business, the way that I talk, the jokes that I tell, everything. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking So The very first thing that we nail down in Ephesians is this. Do you know the teacher? Are you learning Christ, not just about him? Then Paul talks to us about some things that happened to us in the past that he wants us to recognize today. Then he talks to us about a thing that needs to be continually happening all the time in our life. And then he comes back to something that happened in our past. And we can put it like this. He wants us to put off in the old, what happened to you when you were born again is you became dead to your old way of life. This old smelly corpse, the old Dave Wurtzen, the old you 
was put off. It was, and Paul uses the analogy like, a, like clothing that you put off. In fact, often when I've taught this text, I've come in with really ugly, dirty. One time I taught about Word of Life, and I covered my whole thing with butyric acid, which smells like vomit. And it was terrible. I mean, it was a, it, I'd never do that illustration again because it's harder on me than it was on the audience. But I had this really dirty coat. And everyone sat there going, you know, man, what in the world is works and doing? And I talked about this old way of life, this old smelly cooked. Man, everyone's really tense about this because I'm not dressed right and I've got this terribly ugly, dirty, soiled thing on. And then I took it off and I put on a beautiful white, you know, just totally, you know, Clorox and everything, totally white garment. Now, when the Apostle Paul wrote this text, probably the Ephesians were thinking in terms of like when they got baptized. Now, we know about the way they baptized people in the second century a lot more. The first century is a little bit more hazy. And I think the Lord did that so that you wouldn't make it, you know, you've got to do this ritual. That's always a problem of religion. So the New Testament under the New Covenant that's not into ritual as much doesn't just nail things down because it never wants you to get hung up that you've got to do this ritual. It's easy for us not to understand the power of ritual. God does enter into and he loves us to act things out. And one of the things that probably happened when they, were, when, they were, when they received Jesus and then they publicly declared it in baptism, they probably took off their clothes, the old clothes, and it represented, I'm taking off the old life. And then they went down under the water, and as they went under the water, they would be symbolizing, I am dead with Christ. The old former way of life is dead. When they came up out of the water, they would put a new robe on them. And that would be the new clothes. And that's probably the imagery. I can't prove it. But a lot of, as we look at the ancient literature and stuff, there's a lot of power. There's a, there's a feel in the Apostle Paul and in some of the New Testament because they're not hung up on uniting reality with symbol. And that will help you understand it. Because the first thing the Apostle Paul says after he talks about it, you didn't learn Christ like this. In verse 22, he says, you were taught. Now, this is what I taught you. And the Apostle Paul is saying, when I was with you for three and a half years ministering among you, this is the way I taught you. In regard to your former way of life, and what he literally says is that you have put off your old self. He uses a command that talks about a moment in time when you put off your old self. And it uses an imagery of, just like I just described to you, of taking off an old garment which was being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And all he's doing is reminding you, without Christ in your life, when you live in the old way of life, you are corrupting, you're getting stinkier and stinkier, your mouth is getting dirtier and dirtier, you're becoming more arrogant, and if you keep going, you're going to end up like Gollum in the Return of the King. That's what Tolkien is showing you. That evil decays you, and it takes you away from being made in the image of God. It takes you away from the glorious new life you have in Christ. Does that make sense? Now, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If he uses a Greek verb that stresses there's a, there's a happening, there's a moment in time, when you recognize, I have put off the old life. 
Like when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you don't say, oh man, I want to go to heaven. Man, I want to drink and I want to smoke and I want to be immoral. I want to cuss. I want to tell dirty jokes. I want to be really angry with my wife. I want to be angry with my kids. I want to beat up on them. But man, I want Jesus. I love Jesus and I love the cross and I'm going to go to heaven. It's not going to work. Now, that's the way we sometimes teach you. But that's not the way they taught the early church. The early church said this old way of life really stunk. That's why we love witnessing in prison, because you don't have to convince prisoners they're screwing it up really badly. And they're decaying. They know that. And that's why they respond to the gospel, because it doesn't take very long to convince them the old way of life needs to be put off. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And this is what he's saying to us today. He's saying we need to recognize that when we receive Jesus, we put off that old way of life. Another way Paul will say that in other parts of his writings will say that you're now dead to that old way of life. Augustine, there's a very famous story told about Augustine. Augustine, that lived in the 3rd century, was one of the great church fathers. And he wrote some incredible things, especially about justification by faith alone and grace. He's the great church father of grace. Helped us to really understand Romans, for example, and Galatians. But Augustine didn't come to know Jesus till he was older. And before he knew Jesus, he was a Greek philosopher and a Roman teacher. He was part of the Roman-Greek intellectual establishment. And he actually went around teaching people, but he was very immoral. He just slept with one woman after another. In fact, he had a mistress. And he didn't marry her. He didn't want to marry her. He lived like a lot of Roman Greek guys. He just like a lot of your friends that are secularists. That's what Augustine did. And he maybe the equivalent of a really progressive university teacher. But Augustine started hearing about the gospel of grace. One day in a garden, his mom had come to know the Lord Jesus and was teaching him about Jesus. And this all came home to Augustine one day in, a, in like in a beautiful Roman Greek garden. And he became a believer in Jesus. He stepped over the line and invited Jesus to come to his life. He actually went back. He became a, a leader in the church where he came to know Jesus. And then he matured. And he actually became like the equivalent of a pastor teacher, you might say. Or even like over several churches. He became the bishop of, of Hippo, which is in northern Africa. And Augustine went back home. And when he landed, everyone was all excited because he was a real charismatic life of the party, you know, big social life, and everybody loved Augustine. And his mistress actually came to welcome him home. And as she met him, you know, she's decked out, man. She's gorgeous, and she's got all of her beautiful stuff on, and Chanel number 56 all over and everything else. And she's saying, man, we're going to begin right where we left off. Just like in the movie, we're going to just start again. And the tradition tells us that Augustine saw her and he, he didn't even recognize her. I mean, he didn't even give any recognition. He just walked right on. He walked right on. And she's running after him. Say, Augustine, 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 remember me. Let's pick it up where we left off. And finally, Augustine turned around and said, the Augustine that you knew is dead. Because Augustine understood what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, you know, before I knew Jesus, that's how I lived. But I'm dead. I put off, when I came to know Jesus, immorality and sexual sin and impurity. I put it off. So that's the glorious thing. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, our responsibility is to recognize it in the past that we became dead. We died to that old way of life. And the Christian life is a question of learning to believe that. And that leads us to what Paul goes on and says. Now he says this. You put off your old self 
which is being corrupted and decaying, and it's telling deceitful desires. It's controlled by deceitful desires. And if you start giving into the old man again, you'll be deceived again. It's not just a question of intellectual answers and questions. We've got a really cunning enemy that's trying to lie to you today. And I'm trying to counter that with the truth of the Spirit. It's not neutral zone. Then he says this, I want you to be made new in the attitude of your mind. And this is a continual thing. Paul uses a Greek verb here that doesn't look to the past, it's the present. In fact, I could translate it here that you might be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. Once you understand, when we use the word mind, it has to do with your thinking. Every one of you is controlled by the way that you think. If, you're, if you study cognitive psychology, cognitive psychology is going to say that you're controlled by the way that you think. And they're not just saying you're controlled by your intellectual things, but what they're saying is that you're controlled by what your brain is doing, what those thought patterns that are going through your mind. So I want every one of you just to stop. What's going on in your head today? What's going on in your mind today? Who are the teachers of your mind? Who teaches you in your mind? Who do you listen to? Who does your mind listen to? Who do you read? Who do you watch? How do you get the information to make decisions? Because the way that your life works is you do things inside your head and then it comes out in your hands, it comes out in your feet. That's the way your life is made. And that's not just cognitive therapy, that's biblical reality. Now, I understand that there's parts of human existence, like Blythe doesn't have a problem in her thought life. She has a problem in the neurological development of her brain. And some of you have that, and you need to take the medicine that the Lord has given the doctors to help us. Make sure you keep your blood tests in line. Make sure you stay on even the doctors to make sure that your chemical system... I am not denying that we are physical beings. But you're going to have some doctors and some biochemists who are going to tell you all you are is a box of chemicals and electrical signals, and you're not. There's a much deeper dimension. You are a spirit, and to your mind, and your mind isn't just neurological impulse. It's, it's you. It's your personality. What the Apostle Paul is that you need to be renewed in the way that you think. That's what we're doing right this minute. I am renewing your mind. I'm renewing my mind. And the way we do, you say, well, Dave, how do I renew my mind? Every single day, you need to open this book. I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, but I won't make you feel guilty. How many of you have read Ephesians since the last time I taught you? Now, if you haven't, you're not renewing your mind. Because you're not going to understand. I can read Ephesians. You don't have to do this. But, like, I can read it in Greek. And I can read... German commentaries on Ephesians. I can read this stuff like crazy, and I'm just getting it. I also studied this in seminary, and I've studied it through the years, and I've taught it over and over again. But you know what? I needed early this morning to read Ephesians 4, 20 again. Because my mind forgets, and I start acting like the old smelly corpse. How about you? Some of you feel really guilty. Man, I need to really spend time with the Word. Listen, decide right now, this week, you're going to have some time in the Word of God. Okay? That's a very simple thing. The way that this Christian life works, it's not the complicated stuff. It's just really simple things. Do you want to renew your mind? 
just decide every day, I'm not going to let a day go by without opening this book. When I was playing quarterback and I kept throwing into double coverage, what I had to do is I decided we're going to spend some time after practice and my coach is going to tell me again and with my wide receivers and with our defense, we're going to do this again and again and again. And I'm going to learn how to do that. And I'm going to renew my mind because my mind was screwed up. Like what happened in the middle of a game, everything's happened fast. I go back, I look, who cares? Wham, throw an interception. How do you overcome that? Get linebackers to rush me. Get my cornerback to pretend like he's off and have the safety coming in. And I learned what I needed to look for. And I renewed my mind. I got my head straightened out. Before a game, I would think back through what the defenses were, what I needed to look for. And every good athlete knows, and I wasn't that great at it, but I'm sure with you, I knew those kind of things, how to get my head on. In fact, in athletics, you've got to get your head on right. A lot of great athletes, before they play a game, they'll go through the whole game like great skiers. If you're into snow skiing, a great slalom skier will get his head. Like before he goes down the slope or she goes down the slope, they'll actually renew their mind. And they'll visualize and they'll think through. They'll actually think through the race. Now, as they're running, they've got to let it run, but their mind is renewed. They remember those basics, those fundamentals. I want Ephesians to live in you. See, Dave, why is that? Because I don't want you to be corrupted. I don't want you to decay. I don't want to decay myself. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to be immoral. I don't want you to be arrogant. I don't want you to, to be living for greed. I want you to be delivered from that. And I want us to bust forth with this newness. So we put off. We recognize that when we receive this, we put off the old man. We're continually renewed in our mind. And it needs to begin in your personal life. So you need to have some time where you open this Bible and you read it. I would challenge some of you, if, you're, if you just come to know Jesus, get a living Bible. And just every day, just start reading Ephesians. And keep a notebook there and just jot down things. Listen. Look upon it like, I'm going to spend some time with a friend. I want to listen really carefully to what my friend is saying. And then just open your heart and let your friend talk to you. Deal with it personally. And then just write down some of the things that Jesus talks to you about. And you're going to be amazed. Jesus will really talk to you. And you say, well, yeah, I went through a week, Dave, and man, it's cold. It's a different. Keep at it. Relationships take time. Keep listening and get in that rhythm. I do this. The third thing Apostle Paul says, I put off this old way of life. I'm continually renewed in our mind. We have corporate times. And I've stressed the individual part. You need to be in a community group. Some of you as men, if you're all by yourself, you're wrestling with, with uncleanness. You need to have a friend that you meet with. Go and eat at Caroline's. You can go to Caroline's but any week, and there's tons of guys from the church doing that. If you're a woman, you can do all the same thing. Just go and meet with somebody and say, just decide together. We're going to get really serious. Like, we'll just make an experiment. We believe in Jesus. Let's go for it. He seems to be the greatest Savior that's out there. Let's find out if he can really change our life. And let's get really specific about it. Like, I tell dirty jokes pretty consistently. So you write down, I tell dirty jokes. Jesus doesn't want me to tell dirty jokes. Okay, Jesus, what are you going to do to change that? And as you're reading the Word of God, see what the Word of God says about dirty jokes and just start listening to what your Father teaches you about that. And you should be able to see, man, you know, I told about two dirty jokes last week, but that's about three less than I did the week before that. I mean, I used to knock someone's block off, but now I see change. Does that make sense? 
That's what it means to be renewed your mind. The final thing as we close, he says, you need to put on. He said, you need to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And what Paul does, Paul does a marvelous thing. He not only talks to us about the old life. Some of you have been raised in preaching that all you do is talk about the old life and how guilty we feel. And now you're challenged to be renewed in your mind. But the Apostle Paul is saying this as we close. And you really got to get this. You are new people today. If you've received Jesus, Paul comes back to the Greek kind of a verb that means in the past, with results in the present, you have been made new. Some of you, as you look back at your life, you say, Dave, man, I used to be like this. I used to do this. I used to do this. That's not who you are now. When you received Jesus as your Savior, resurrected power came to live inside. Remember I shared with you, Jesus isn't just a coach that steps aside and yells at you. That's not what I taught you. Jesus climbs inside of you. And that's the coolest thing. It means that I can say, Jesus, Dave doesn't have the strength to do this. Like, I don't have the strength right now to handle a grandchild that has Rett syndrome. I never took a court at seminary. Rett syndrome grandparenting. I didn't know how to do it. But you know what? Jesus does. And by the grace of God and with your help, I'm not going to decide that life's too lousy. So I'm going to find a young chick that will help me feel good and forget about Mary and run away from my family and blow church apart. Because those are the tensions that real life wrestles with when there's real struggle and agony. And by the grace of God, I'm not going to believe that lie. And I'm going to hang in there and be a great grandfather for Blythe and be a great daddy for Joel. So when he calls me, that I can bless him and I can encourage him and help him through something I never dreamt he would take. Does that make sense? And in order to do that, I got to read the word of God. I got to let the word of God say, David, that book is not what you should read. This is what you should read. Because this, is, this isn't true. This is true. And that's not the person you should be with right now. You need to be with this person because you need that encouragement. That's what I want all of us to enter into. A lot of you say, well, David, you're transparent. And we appreciate that. And what I want to share with you, we are all in this together. And I'm in it with you. And what we've learned today is, number one, have we learned Jesus? We didn't just learn about him, but we, we want to, this week we want to learn Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Now, what does Jesus teach us? That in, when we received him, we put off the old life. That's not the legitimate us anymore. The way that we enter into the power of that is cognitive. We have to be continually renewed. And Paul said in Romans, the renewing of your minds by the Holy Spirit, which I haven't talked about. The cool thing is the Holy Spirit's there to help you out with this. That's really neat. And then the final thing is very positive. You focus on the new person that you are in Christ. This isn't just working. Some of you in this room even worked through 12 steps. Those are great. But you know what? This morning is not about working 12 steps. You know what? You can work 12 steps and miss Jesus. You can work a program and you can stop taking cocaine and stop drinking too much and stop taking pills. But I got something much better for you because all that will happen if you clean all that up You'll probably become as arrogant and we won't be able to stand you. You'll be so proud of yourself that you don't take cocaine anymore that we won't be able to live with you. And you'll sweep the house clean and another demon will come in. And I don't want that for any of you. It's much bigger than that. You had a friend 
that he's working with. He says, you know, I want to work the 12 steps. But this submission to Jesus, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. Maybe that's where some of you are. And what I want to challenge you is, Jesus is a glorious, powerful, resurrected Savior that will live with you every moment of your life. And it's not working a program. It's enjoying a powerful relationship. And Paul says, put off that old way of life. Continually be renewed in this new life, this new thinking, this new relationship with Jesus. And then live, put on. Remember that you've become this new glorious person in Christ. Let's pray. Father, can the Lord Jesus deliver in this new life he promised? You're going to have to answer this question. And I want you to answer it in my own life, in the lives of my brothers and sisters. And we want to pray, Lord, that there will be tangible evidence in the way that we act, in the way that we live, in the way that we father, in the way that we mother, in the way that we are bosses at work and workers at work. I want to pray, Lord, that this week, that because we just learned these great truths from Ephesians, that our unbelieving friends are going to witness the new life this new life that we put on in Christ. And I want to pray that as they see the beauty of that resurrected Jesus, the real power to change the way we live ethically and morally and spiritually, that it would be an incredible witness that draws people to the Lord Jesus like a magnet. I believe, Jesus, you can deliver in this promise, but I want to see it in my own life and the life of my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.